The wind was howling and the snow was blowing sideways. It's the middle of winter in the northern plains. It's been below zero for 10 days with wind chills in the negative 20s. However, with this blizzard coming in, the producer decided to put his cattle, which were nearly finished, into the barn for the night to protect them from the worst of the weather. By morning, 20 head were dead. What's going on with this case? Welcome to Tox Talk. I'm Brad White here with Dr. Scott Fritz, who's a board certified toxicologist here at Kansas State University's College of Veterinary Medicine and works in the veterinary diagnostic lab dealing with toxicology cases from around the country. Scott, this is a pretty dramatic one. What are some of the first thoughts that come to your head? These are cattle that are nearly finished and all of a sudden send them into the barn and, and we've got 20 dead. I want to be in that barn and see what's going on. Okay. So first thing you want to do is get to the barn. So what happened in this case? Because I think this is dramatic enough. That's what happened. The veterinarian went out and went to the barn to see what's happening. What'd they find? He found 20 dead fat steers with not much to go on. So 20 dead steers. So, and they're at the stage where they're nearly finished. They've been outside, but they went in the barn. And how long were they in the barn? Is this days or, or hours? My understanding, he threw them in the barn like early evening before it got dark. I was going to just leave them in overnight as the blizzard blew through and then kick them back out in the morning back in the pen when he could feed them. And so when the veterinarian gets there, he takes a look, you've got the dead steers. First thing we're going to do is do a necropsy, right? I mean, you take a take a walk around and see what's going on. And outside of the carcasses, about all you could see was some maybe some froth coming out of a couple of them from the nose and mouth. And that's about it. Okay. And this is one that I didn't mention. There were 20 that were dead, but there were still another 30 that were okay. Sure. Yep. So it was only a subset of the population, even though a sizable amount. So in that case, you look around, you're looking around the barn. I'm thinking, is there something they got into? Is there something that they licked? Is there something they ate? We've talked before about toxins, fertilizers being a big one, right? So if we had a bag of fertilizer, we had something in there. Did they find anything like that in the barn? No, in this case, they, the barn was already kind of sectioned off to house cattle in there. They used it as shelter anyway, just left the doors open all the time. They were used to having cattle in there. It had been bedded down. It was, I mean, normally meant to hold cattle, so they couldn't have access to anything like that. Okay, so clarify this kind of situation that, that it's not just we had a barn and threw them in there. It's This is normal housing facility. The difference was closed everything up because of the blizzard coming in. So let's go back to the necropsy. So on those necropsies, you mentioned that some of them had a little bit frothy coming out their nose. What else did they find on necropsy? Any discoloration of tissues? We've talked before about different color tissues, different things that we'd be concerned about. What'd they see on these? There wasn't much that stood out on necropsy really at all. They didn't have anywhere to go. There's, I mean, it was to the point where nobody knew what testing to even request. Okay. So at that point, and in this case, always my fear is I'm doing a necropsy and I'm like, there's a bunch of them that are dead. I'm thinking it's a tox case and I might want to call you and talk through samples, but in the field, I still got to collect my samples, right? If I can't get a hold of you. So what's my standard grab bag that I should look at on these cattle as far as samples? On a group of cattle like that, so fat steers, I'd be you know, we always look at lungs like an AIP maybe situation, but having that many tip over dead from a tox standpoint, I want liver, kidney, lung. I want to look at the rumen content. I always like having an eyeball. 
Uh, they didn't see any clinical signs, but it's always good to have a brain. I know they're a pain to get out, but having a brain to both look at on a microscope and also do some testing with a fresh brain, sometimes it'll make or break a case. Okay. So samples, you said rumen contents to look at. So are you talking use a glove and grab a handful of rumen contents or how much do you want? Yeah. If you can open like a gallon Ziploc and you know, take a handful from a couple different places so you get somewhat of a homogenous mix, throw that in the freezer. Okay. Rumen content just needs to be frozen as soon as you possibly can do it for a lot of the things that we want to do with it. And it won't ruin like a gross exam that I'm going to do anyway when it gets here. So rumen contents, fresh sample, gallon Ziploc bag, throw it in the freezer. Everything else, do you want fixed and fresh tissues or only fresh or fixed? Fresh and fixed on both. I didn't include the heart. You need to throw the heart in there too. I typically like a cross section through the ventricles. If you can throw the papillary muscle in there, that's awesome. And then for the eye sample, and you mentioned you might want an eye, but but really you want the fluid out of the eye, right? Yeah, I want, if you can get it, the anterior chamber, the aqueous humor, the liquid part of the front of the eye is what I'm going to use for testing. If you don't feel comfortable getting that, you can send the whole globe. Just be careful not to disrupt the integrity of the globe. Not to squish it. Yeah. So the brain, what? how much of the brain do you need? Do you just need a sample like we would turn in for fresh or fixed? Do you, what do you want as far as the brain goes? I want half of the brain, so a hemisphere fresh, and then throw the other half in formalin. I think some pathologists are sometimes looking for bilateral lesions, and so their thoughts might differ, but I prefer having half a brain for the stuff I'm going to do. So you basically need the whole brain when we send them in. All right. So all of those things I can do, but we've got 20 dead ones. How many of them do I need to sample in a case like this? Do I have to do that on all 20? Can I send you five? Do I need to send 10? What are my options there? You don't need to send all 20. You need to do more than one. And if you kind of develop a trend on your necropsies, if they're all, you know, if you do three or four, they look the same, that's probably going to work. Okay. And just don't pool samples, keep the individual animals separate. So label bags per animal and don't pool them. Great point. So don't pull your samples except within animal, right? So I can put all my fixed tissues from one animal in the same bag. I can keep my fresh tissues, same animal, but not between animals because there might be some differences there. And I totally agree. We're going to necropsy every single one of these in a case like this, but you may take samples on a portion of them. I always wanted to err on the side of having more samples that I could throw away rather than wishing I had another sample. So in this case, basically, no gross lesions, no findings that they found on anything? Not that were reported, no. And there was more than one vet there. I mean, that's a big job, 20 necropsies and 20 fat steers. So there was more than one person there, and nobody could identify anything grossly. Okay. Maybe a little froth in the lungs and some a little bit of discoloration, maybe. Okay, so I'm going to send all this stuff into the lab and cross my fingers or am I going to check the box on the form looking for something specific or am I going to say check for everything right there's you don't really have a check for everything on your tox form no there's a pathologist discretion box on there but I would encourage you to call beforehand you don't have to call even before you're taking samples just get in touch with us before they get there let us know they're coming so that we know when they show up that we're going to have to do some sorting and we can talk through differentials and talk about the case with you and get a better idea of what we need to be looking at Okay, so what are your top differentials on this case so far based on what we know? So the timeline for me, having that many of them dead overnight, especially fat steers, there's not a lot of things that are going to do that. So I wonder about like nitrate case, maybe a, some sort of a urea problem. You know, maybe they 
gave him a supplement that had too much urea, that'll kill him pretty quick. We talked about some of the exposures to pesticides. They, you can't rule them out. They're not going to leave lesions, especially like an organophosphate uh, insecticide. It's not going to leave lesions, but it'll kill a lot of them pretty rapidly. And then there's the grab bag that you don't know. And so those are some of the things we wanted to rule out. So let's talk through a couple of those. Nitrates, methemoglobinemia, you'd expect to have brown blood. I open these calves, I don't see brown blood. Can I say, no way, it's nitrates? No, the brown discoloration won't last that long post-mortem. So the methemoglobin can convert back to normal hemoglobin after they die. So it's that's not all that reliable. I'd prefer to look in ocular fluid and just measure nitrate in ocular fluid. So ionophores, moving on, now that you knocked out that differential for me, ionophore or kept it in play, ionophores, it's going to cause some heart lesions, cardiac problems. Am I going to see something grossly? Can I rule it out if I looked at these hearts and they look pretty normal? I don't know if you could rule it out, but I would expect some fluid accumulation, especially in the thorax. You might be able to appreciate some necrosis in the heart, you know, some streaking maybe. So pericardial effusion, petechiae, ecmosis, things like that. But if I don't see them, it's still on my list. So right now I've got nitrates, ionophores. You mentioned potentially something like organophosphates. Uh, got a big list. We send those to the lab and they come back with, what do they come back with? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> okay. So we, we looked at the nitrate in the ocular fluid. We ruled out urea or a non-protein nitrogen looking at ammonia in the ocular fluid. For the OPs, we actually measure cholinesterase in the brain. So acetylcholinesterase in the brain, if that's inhibited, will kind of give you a clue that it was an OP exposure it was normal. And then we have a kind of a toxicant screen that screens. It's not really a targeted screen, but it screens for a bunch of different stuff when we didn't get a single hit on any of that. So I'm the producer and the vet. I'm I'm going, man, something big happened. We didn't have any problems before. We haven't had any problems since. Now what? That's a great question. We were stuck (laughs) in the same spot. So this, this case... You know, it was tough for everybody involved. It's high emotions on both ends. Veterinarians frustrated. We're frustrated, frankly. Like, it's, we wanted to figure it out as well. And so we start asking some questions again, and it kind of pops into our brain. Well, the, the building was shut overnight, but it was open when the veterinarian got there. You know, the guy noticed he had all the dead calves, let them all out. And so we wondered if there was something environment-wise we were missing. So what would you do to investigate that? So we called the veterinarian back and said, hey, I mean, is trying to ask some questions about the building. And we found out that there was a kind of a shop work office doctoring room in there and it had a heater going on. And we, so it's, we were kind of asking some questions about the heat source and he said, yeah, they keep it heated, you know, try to keep the drugs warm and that kind of thing, a place to warm a calf if you need to. Uh, the way that building was heated, it vented into the barn. And so now we're like, well, what happens when that door is shut? And we're trying to make the jump there. Cause you know, when the veterinarian got there, the door was open. But because normally you said they, they use the barn for shelter, but the doors are open. It's yeah, it's a cool this was barn. blizzard scenario. Locked them all in there, shut the door. And I, we just didn't think about that heat source being in there. So we, you know, wondered how hot it would get in there. We're like, well, go shut that and see how hot it gets. And he put just 10 head of calves in there, shut the door and it got to 85 pretty fast, like within an hour, hour and a half. So we've got cattle that are fat cattle that have been outside in the Northern Plains in the winter, they're wearing the thick coat, right? They've got the thick coat on, they're adjusted to it, they're used to it. We bring them inside, we heat them up to 85 or 90 degrees. We've also got their expirations to think about too, right? A lot of carbon carbon dioxide, dioxide in the air. 
maybe even carbon monoxide from the heater, depending on the heat source. Depending on the heat source, maybe some methane. I mean, it you you just have a hyperthermia situation. Just like you said, they're fat. They've got a big coat on them. They're acclimated to 10 below, and then you run the temperature up 95 or 100 degrees from what they're used to. And then you've got all the steam coming off of those animals as they're heating up and all the, you know, we're starting to run out of oxygen in that situation. So ventilation could have helped this scenario. And this is a case where we're trying to do absolutely the right thing, right? Bringing the calves in out of a blizzard, bringing those cattle in, trying to protect them from the elements. And inadvertently, we've caused heat and maybe asphyxiation of which both those, and, and you and I have necropsy things that have died from the heat before, not typically in the middle of the winter, but you, you don't see a lot of clinical signs. There's no growth. This matches now our history is making sense, right? Yeah. We didn't see any gross clinical signs. We didn't see anything like that. Didn't find anything on the you know lab work that was done. There's, there's not a lot to go on. You draw parallels to like a hog barn. You throw the curtains up on a hog barn when it's hot out. And you wipe out the entire barn, well, you start wondering about gases. You start wondering about hydrogen sulfide. But then you, when you really start digging, a lot of those cases are hyperthermia and asphyxiation. Hyperthermia and asphyxiation. So I normally ask you if you would do something different. But I think in this case, yes, you'd leave the, leave the door open as you go forward. But as you think about other preventative measures, are there many times we're housing cattle outdoors. So we're not thinking about what the indoor environment is, the ventilation, the gases, any considerations I should have there for future cases? I think just anytime you got a heat source that's in an animal holding area, just make sure to vent it outside. Beyond that, I don't know what else you could do. This case might have been that way without a heat source in there. I don't know. Without trying to recreate the scenario, I, you'd never figure it out. Yep, without have, with just with having that many animals in there. So if I want to learn more about heat stress and the potential toxic gases due to lack of ventilation, where could I learn more, Scott? Uh, you can start at the BCI website. There's a toxicology page on there. There's some resources there to get you started. Excellent. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate the good information. Sure. Thanks, Brad.